everyone and welcome to Venting with Jenny and Barry. We're just whatever hits our minds of the week we just talk about. So this week, um, I'll introduce myself, sorry. I'm Jenny Graham, opinion page editor of the Tulsa World. And I'm Barry Friedman. I'm a uh, blogger, comedian, writer, friend of Jenny's. And your stuff can be found at Friedman.com. So, and we invited this week to speak with Senator Joanna Dossett, and she represents Senate District 35, which is, it's Midtown, right, Tulsa? Yes. Yes. Okay. And she is one of the few women and few Democrats at the Senate. And so we just thought, and she's not running for re-election, one of the few, it seems like. So she can speak freely and not worry about campaign this year. So um, Barry, you were the one who had the idea to bring Senator Dossett on here. So where do you want to start? Well, we, actually, we wanted to start, first of all, thanking you coming on and, and the fact that you are a Democrat and you are a woman in, in Oklahoma is reason enough to have you on every week. Uh, but I wanted to actually start with what is it like, A, being those two things in the Senate in Oklahoma? That's part A. And part B is the similarities that you have between the 81st and 82nd Republican on the floor and how you, how you both really don't have any power at all. But first, let's talk about you and being a woman and being a senator and being in Oklahoma, if we could. <laughs> Yeah, let's you. start with let's start with the Democrat part because um, yeah, that's a minority party. So it is. that's putting it mildly, right? So let yeah, the, how many Democrats yeah. can y'all fit in a van and drive to Oklahoma City? And, yes, okay. yes, we can. Um, I love the questioning here. You know, as a fairly new politician, I've already learned. You know, you answer the question that you wish they had asked, but no, I'm I'm happy with the questions that you've asked, and I plan on answering them. Fully. Um, as we stated before, my name is Joanna Dossett. I'm the state senator from District 35 here in Midtown Tulsa. I do like to refer to myself as the least powerful member of the Oklahoma State Senate. The reasoning behind that is because, well, I'm, I'm one of the newest. I was elected in 2020. Uh, and I am a member, the junior most member of the minority caucus. You all called it uh, the Democratic Caucus. Um, I think something was said about the super minority. Yes, we are the super minority. I like to refer to us though as the super duper minority uh, in the Oklahoma State Senate because the nine of us, I think if you really watch our behaviors, our, our voting, our floor performance, I think despite our small size, we're incredibly effective. We're incredibly powerful, incredibly effective. You know, there's so many horrible, horrible things that hit the floor of the Oklahoma State Senate. Um, but if you think about some things that don't hit the floor that you never hear about. A lot of that is because Democrats were at work behind the scenes, making sure that the really horrible stuff didn't hit the floor. And uh, I think that is one of one of our strengths is that we still have enough power, enough influence, enough clout to really put just the really off the rail stuff um, back and not let it be heard on the floor. Um, when stuff does hit the floor, that's just really disgusting, really horrible, really hateful. Um, we don't let it pass easily. We will often question and debate for three hours and up. Um, takes a lot of stamina. It takes a lot of collaboration and coordination. Um, but we really like to bring to light as often as we can some of the just ridiculous legislation that ends up hitting the floor of the Oklahoma State Senate. Um, I can't. I think I might have rabbit hold a little bit, but uh, yeah, talk about being the in the minority. 
the super duper minority. Um, I am in a, in a super minority in sense of my, my gender. I'm female. There really aren't that many um, in the Oklahoma State Senate, uh, Republican or Democrat. And uh, yeah, that's been a journey for me. I came from public school teaching, um, mostly at the elementary level, where my entire workplace was made up of females, of women, um, you know, from, from lower level staff all the way up to, you know, school superintendent. Um, I'm used to working with and for women, primarily, um, you know, all, all working together to serve children. Uh, but in the Oklahoma State Senate, it's very different. It's a very male and male-dominated atmosphere, and I've had to learn new ways, new ways of being, thinking, speaking, acting, behaving, uh, in order to be effective, as effective as I thought I was, you know, in the classroom, in my female-dominated workplace. Um, I, I would love for there to be more women in the Senate, um, and, 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 and I'll say this, of either party, more women of either party, I think it would moderate the conversation we have a lot. I, I have a question on that because your brother, a very odd yeah. first time a brother and sister have been in the Senate. Yes. Do you, and he's also a Democrat. Do yes. you find that if you are both talking, he gets treated differently or he gets, mm. um, people respond oh, to him differently? That is a great question. Um, here we go. He's my little brother, my baby brother but he has been in the Senate for a longer amount of time. He's been in since uh, January, February, pardon of 2016. He came in on a special. He has afforded a lot of respect within the Senate. I do think he, I do think he has earned it though. He's put in the time. Um, he's kept his conversation moderate enough um, that he does have a great deal of respect. Okay, so that um, has to do with the tenure, the, the tenure. Yeah, the there's, okay. there's tenure there, but I, Honestly, I think being a woman in the Senate, being his, being his sister, any, any comparisons that could be, you know, fairly drawn between us, I honestly think my biggest challenge in the Senate is re-envisioning myself and rethinking all of the ways that I've been taught and trained to think about myself as a woman. I've had to rethink those. Um, I've had to come to some terms, um, come to terms with a lot of the things that I was taught about how women should behave and how women should speak, and how women should defer, and how women should make everyone around them comfortable, and how, you know, women should get out of the way uh, when there's a louder or more bold or, you know, or more important, uh, quote unquote, um, voice speaking. I do remember my first session, there was a senator who would always walk by my desk, and I think it was a joke. But he would always walk, not my, and it wasn't my brother. I would have understood it as <laughs> my brother. But he would always walk by and unplug my mic every morning. And, you know, looking back, I probably should have stood up to that. I probably should have said, hey, that makes me uncomfortable. I probably should have said, you may not get this because you're a man. But when you do that to someone who you just see as a colleague, but that person is a woman, that kind of triggers some stuff in her head about how she should behave that day. Um, about, and that, that person was in leadership too. Um, majority leadership, not minority leadership, majority leadership. Mm -hmm. And uh, anyway, that doesn't happen anymore. Um, don't know why. Maybe that, that member, that colleague of mine, you know, has something else that they're up to now. I don't know. Uh, well, look, but I, yeah. 
I would on that point, let, let's talk about how women are supposed to behave. And, and from that, let's have the worst transition of the day. Uh, let's talk about <laughs> transvaginal probes. Let's do it. Yes. And yes. talk about what happened on the Senate floor. And I think on, on KWGS, where you had to uh, school a male colleague on what exactly happens uh, with said probe. Yes. So this was my first session. And thank you so much, Barry. You're a great friend. Um, I love that you, this is what you... <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it was my first session. I'll give you a little background before the floor work happened. So here's a little, you know, civics lesson too, within the context of trans vaginal ultrasounds. Um, Let's say it as much as possible too. Okay. <laughs> oh, I said it a lot that day. Um, I think it was day three on the job for me. Day three in the Oklahoma State Senate, least powerful member of the Senate. Um, you know, little, um, and when I say little, that, that's sort of like an endearing term, but yeah, that's how I always was taught to behave little, um, to make myself smaller so that others around me could be bigger. So anyway, I've got my, my stack of bills. I've done all my homework. I'm going to health and human services committee. I'm a member of that. Like I said, day three on the job, COVID is rampant. Nobody is vaccinated. There are not proper precautions that have been put in place by my workplace um, to keep people safe. Um, and there are these crowds and crowds of protesters with megaphones and signs and kids running around, no masks. Um, and they're all there because it's abortion day. Um, leadership has decided to put eight abortion bills on the Health and Human Services Committee agenda that morning because somehow that is the way that we're gonna fix Oklahoma's problems is by in the midst of COVID, um, we're gonna hear eight abortion bills and that's gonna be a good use of, of our time and the taxpayers' time uh, and the people's time. So I'm walking to a committee meeting, there's like throngs, crowds of people. It takes the highway patrol and the sergeants at arms to escort us safely in to the, um, to the committee room. We can't hear ourselves for the two or three hours that we're in there because of all the screaming and protesting outside. Um, about you know all the horrible things that um, that, that that we're going to do to babies, um, and just think of all the meanness and ugliness that you, that you could think of um, when it that, that could be launched at someone who's considering an abortion question, and, and that's what was yelled intermittently with hymns. They would sing hymns too, and so there would be screaming and yelling um, about all the horrible things that we're going to do to babies over the megaphone, and then they would break into some religious hymn. It was all just a really chaotic environment. Anyway, one of the bills was a colleague's, uh, oh, it wasn't a heartbeat bill, but it was it put a time period or something on. And so, look, I can't even remember the details because we hear so many abortion bills, so many abortion bills. Right. But anyway, it put some unreasonable timeline, like six weeks or something, um, uh, on the legal performance of an abortion. And so we were going to cut it off at six weeks from conception and we were gonna make the patient undergo uh, an ultrasound to detect a heartbeat. Um, and that's what was gonna make the um, abortion legal. Well, the only way that anything like that might be detected at that early stage is via a process called transvaginal ultrasound. And you can't, which, which involves penetrating a patient with an instrument. 
And um, yeah, I mean, that's upsetting. That's really, that's really disturbing. And, and so for me, it was committee work. And I don't think, I don't think the committee questioning and, and committee work got as much media attention as the eventual floor work. Um, but for me, it was less educating the Senator on this and more just asking, asking the Senator questions about, do you understand how disturbing this is? Do you understand how disturbing, how prohibitive, how, um, you know, just how, how awful this will make the already awful situation and experience of being in a pregnancy where, where you have to have questions answered, where you, you have to have a greater understanding of your condition and your pregnancy and potential outcomes before you make decisions. Anyway, so yeah, I did committee questioning and then later I did floor questioning. Um, same, the bill passed with flying colors out of, you know, committee. Um, I think, I think three Democrats on health and human committee voted against it. And then the, you know, the majority voted for it in committee. It got to, got to the floor and, and, you know, it was abortion day again on the floor. And we just heard all those bills again on the floor and they all passed despite hours and hours of questioning and debate from, from Democrats. Two questions. Did he know what the probe entailed and part two, did he care? No, 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 no knowledge and no care. No, yeah, that and that's not unusual. I don't. I don't know because no. I had that same conversation with a male editor when it came up in a previous. This has come up several times, and because they have some idea that, like, I, I, I'm struck by how little men know about how women's bodies work, and I mm-hmm. had to explain the same thing. I'm like, you know what that is. I got more detailed in the editor's meeting just to see the, the face of the freak out. He's like, oh, well, I didn't, I didn't know. He goes, I thought it was just like, you rub something on your belly and you know. And I'm like, no, that's not, not at all. Because he, you know, he was pro-life. And I'm like, but you have to understand, I go, if you're dealing with a rape victim and you're mm-hmm. going to do this. Yeah, so a rape victim, a child, like a, a child exactly. who has become pregnant. I, I just like anybody who has experienced any type of, of trauma, right. um, no, that's going to reopen the trauma. That's going to cause more damage cause. More, it's just, it's just awful. But no, I think the the kind of um, the key part is there is no, the people who introduced this legislation don't know and they don't care. And because they've got the guaranteed votes via the supermajority, they don't have to learn anything new. And they don't have to become more knowledgeable. They don't have to become more empathetic. The questioning and debate really doesn't do anything except maybe to slow it down for a few hours, allow the media to catch up um, with what's going on and, and get the conversation out there in the public. Um, but no, the, yeah, the, the answers I think on the floor from my colleague were just no, 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 no. And, and, and that's all the defense that they had to give to get their bill passed. Do you, do you feel that there's? Uh, do you feel that there's a reason that doesn't resonate? That story to me would resonate with anybody. But is there some reason that doesn't ripple through the pond enough where people say that is not what I want in my representative? Um, I do. Not think... Taxes. That's not environment. That's again yeah. a human being, a female human being. That's right. That's a Republican woman who yeah. would have to go through that. Why doesn't yeah. that message 
do you think work? Why does um, it not I, I think it does have a lot to do with the composition, composition pardon, of the legislature right now. Um, it's a little more difficult for me to speak about house and house dynamics, but on the Senate side, I mean, like we said before, there's a supermajority. Um, within the supermajority caucus, you're not allowed to vote against those bills. If you do vote against those bills, you'll lose everything. Like you'll, you'll lose your stature, you'll lose your standing if you have um, any type of leadership role or aspiration to be in leadership, you won't get it if you vote no on those abortion access bills. That kind of brings it back to, I was referring to myself as the least powerful member of the Oklahoma State right. Senate. And that might sound like self-deprecating or like, oh, why would you want to be that? Or are you proud of that? Well, in fact, when you have no power or very little, you can actually be the best and truest and most comprehensive voice for your district. Like for me, I'm only beholden to my district. That's it. I'm not beholden to party. I'm not beholden to power. I'm not beholden to any leadership structure within the state Senate. I'm beholden 100% to my district. I mean, there's nothing leadership could take away from me. There's no, there's not, I've got nothing to lose. That's um, true. The only, the only yeah. thing, the only thing I have is being an effective voice for my constituency, which by the way, is far from being a democratic one. Republicans elected me. I'm a Democrat representing a majority Republican district. Mm -hmm. um, and I do feel like with every, every round of questioning debate that I've done over the mic, whether it be committee floor work on abortion, um, I am absolutely able to take that back to my district, District 35, and door-to-door, -door, person to person, face-to-face, -face, regardless of party, and mostly with Republicans, because those are the people who primarily, um, well, vote and, and live in my district. I can defend that all day long with them. You can defend, you can defend the pro-choice stance person-to-person -person and face-to-face -face much better than you can sort of in the, in the arenas that we tend to discuss this stuff. Oh, exactly. Because it's always been black and white. It's always been yeah. yes or no. And I think people were able to hide behind that because of the Supreme yeah. Court ruling. Because you can say yeah. I'm pro-life and not really worry like they'll pass all this at the state legislature and it'll never happen. Mm -hmm. And now I am interested to see what will happen. You, you were talking about all these abortion bills that come up. Do you think they're still going to come up? Maybe in a different gonna, way to loosen those yeah, up. I mean- I, my I predict it'll be, um, now it's gonna be access to contraceptives um, oh, yeah. and it's possibly gonna be trying to place limits or controls on travel for abortion. Those are the, right? Those yeah, are I don't know how you're gonna do that. What are you gonna do, give a pregnancy test at the border? And you are gonna have to do so much education on women's yeah. bodies when it comes to contraception. Like yeah. it's, you're gonna have to bring in an actual like doctors to just sit down with some of these guys. Um, you, you yeah. know, I wanted to, um, but I wanted actually, to you won't. I'm sorry, actually, go actually, ahead. Actually, you won't. You, they'll just say no contraception, and you won't have to explain right. it. I mean, I don't know. We talked about this before. Joanna, you have any insight? Please let me know how, how you can be against abortion and against contraception. It seems to me if you don't want abortion, you don't want pregnancy, the best way not to have those and have the issue is contraception. But apparently this isn't about abortion, this is about sexuality and power. But yeah. how do you think the contraception bill is gonna play out? How do you think the travel ban is gonna play out? Because it is coming. 
Yeah, I do think that both of them are coming. Let me tell you how contraception already played out um, last session in the Senate. So I had a colleague who introduced a bill that would require unemancipated minors uh, to gain parental consent before they received any type of contraception from any entity, uh, like a county health department, you know, say. And, um, and just the for bill, girls, if I recall, right? Wasn't well, that I mean, just aimed for girls? That's pretty much, the, in, in practice, that's how it would play out. It would come down harder on females than it would on males. Right. And um, it passed the Senate with, with flying colors, as you may have been able to predict. But one really notable um, instance was that two Republican females stood up and questioned and debated against the bill um, on these two bases. Um, the one, it was just super pragmatic, super common sense. Do you think placing this restriction on contraceptive is going to stop a 17-year-old girl from having sex? Well, and then, well, we know the answer is no. We all know that. That's a common sense uh, answer. And uh, she, and this, this female member, um, a real role model of mine, a senior member who um, had attained leadership uh, in the past, she just kept she just kept hitting them with that with that question, and of course the answer was like in my experience with the with the other bill, no, 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 no. And he didn't really have to do anything to defend his bill, but she worked really hard. Um, and then there was another female member, Republican, um, who asked about you know what what happens when the parent or the guardian that the young girl needs permission from is also the person who's abusing her, also the person who is subjecting her to the sexual activity that she that she doesn't want to have but must have protection for herself and so he couldn't answer you know he couldn't he couldn't answer that question um yeah it doesn't want to have and as a child can't properly give consent so it's just it's all like these bills all create impossible situations just completely impossible situations for women and i and i saw those two republican women stand up and, and call it out uh over this bill of course the bill passed flying colors it went over to the House and um, a, a female Republican um, committee chair, best I can tell, stopped it from being heard in committee. Um, and so I think on that particular bill, we have, I mean, we have some proof now that there are females in the legislature who will stand up against, females who are not Democrats will stand up against this. It, it just comes down to, okay, whose power is gonna be taken away what rearrangements will be made so that those bills can sail through a little bit, you know, more easily? Uh, what deals will be made behind the scenes um, to to help these go through? So yeah, I mean, contraceptive is contraceptive access is coming, and it'll be in like little piecemeal ways, like chipping away at it, um, as in this bill that we saw, um, contraception for minors. The travel, gosh, I don't know how travel is going to play out because mm -hmm. I cannot think of a proper legal framework. For that, I cannot think of proper statutory language for that. But here's the here's the other thing: when you have supermajority conditions, none of that matters. Mm -hmm. The bills that they run don't have to be. I mean, they don't have to hold water. They run them because they can, because supermajority, and the supermajority makes them untouchable, uh, makes them unresponsive, uh, makes them out of touch, really, with what their constituents back in their districts might actually want. Or need. But, have, but it does is that it creates court challenges. So you you depend on, you know, yeah. that, that was always a thing that they purposely passed unconstitutional bills, thinking, yeah. hoping that they would win, you know, set right. some new precedent. So 
in a way that it, you're right. They'll just do it regardless. And like, we'll just wait and challenge it. So, and then, and then use that as a, as a platform plank. Look what I did. I stood up to the judiciary. I stood yeah. up to Joe Biden. I stood yeah. up to the Washington DC liberals or whatever they right. you know, want to call everybody. Even though um, it's completely unconstitutional. Been, um, oh my goodness. Yes. Yes. Uh, Barry, I'm sorry. <laughs> what did you want to add? No, I was just going to say, we, we do, uh, last I heard in this country, do have a right to travel between states. So I don't know how they're going to do this either. But my, my question to you, Joanna, is this, how many of your GOP colleagues, will you say, believe these social issues are important to their core, whatever their core is, and how many are just playing politics? That's part A. Part B is, and which part, which part of those, which parts of those groups bother you more? The ones <laughs> playing politics or the ones who actually believe it? I like that Barry's uh, questions always have like five questions within yeah. the question. <laughs> oh, I got it. No, I'm on this one. First of all, Barry, I have told you before, I love working with every single one of my colleagues. Um, and, I, and I haven't believed you before. I don't believe you now. <laughs> It's because women know how to get things yes. done and you yes. don't do that by polarizing people. No, oh, you're saying I polarize no. people like that? <laughs> um, no, no, not at all, Barry. Um, th- no, I walk into work every single day happy to see every single one of them. Um, but I mean, that's a workplace issue. That's a, that's a person-to-person, um, interpersonal issue. I No, yeah. I choose. I, I choose to like every. I was saying, I have to do a theory on this one because I can get two senators right now. I would not like seeing. (laughs) So so there's that. So no, really, I I got to tell you, on a personal level, surviving day to day at work level, and making sure that I can be there, be present with the clarity I need to do a good job for my district, it doesn't bother me. Does that make sense? That that and that's oh, listen to me. That's such a female question. Does that make sense? but, but no, but there I, is something to be said about the, the politics. Like how many, and I've, I've wrestled with this too. Yeah. How many of, of the, um, of the people that vote against, you know, you know, or with yeah. these, how, how many are true believers versus right. I have to pass this because I really want them to back my education bill or my whatever bill. I think that's, let me, yeah, let me, let me answer the question. I wish you asked, but no, okay. seriously, I'm No, this, this will apply. Okay, so we were talking about my brother uh, a few minutes back. Sometimes, sometimes work on this floor of the Oklahoma State Senate can be a little frustrating. Sometimes we're hearing, you know, if we're on the 10th or 11th ridiculous bill of the day, and it's all about some hot button social issue that only promotes division and hatred of someone who's different than, than us. Um, you, it does get a little, it can, it can wear on you a little bit. And sometimes you do have to take a step back and try to disassociate a little bit, kind of clear your head a little bit before you get on the mic or before you cast your vote. So a game that JJ and I play, JJ, my brother, a state senator from District 34, um, is we'll look out across the state Senate and we'll, we'll just take a head count. We'll be like, how many of these folks are actually pro-life Democrats out here? They are old-fashioned, old-timey, old-school Democrats kind of like the family and the culture and the tradition that JJ and I grew up in. Um, And they would align with Democrats on every single issue except abortion. And we'll take a head count and we'll be like, you know what? If we let those folks be pro-life Democrats, we'd still have majority in the Senate. 
we would have a Democratic majority in the Senate. And he, but here's the key. Here's the linchpin. We'd have a majority. There would be individuals who on a personal level or basis are identify as, as pro-life, but the bills would not be introduced and heard. We would not be wasting the people's time on these bills that cause nothing but hatred, division, and trouble, and also catastrophe at, mm -hmm. at some extent for individuals who are trying to get proper health care for themselves. Mm -hmm. um, and so there's that, that, that kind of, oh, the politics of it. Yeah, the, the, poli the politics of it. Yeah, I think a lot of them are actually old-fashioned Democrats. They just somehow found themselves in a pro-life camp. Maybe they feel that way personally or something. And then they got caught up in a supermajority caucus that does not, I'm telling you, it's not allowed. You, right. you cannot survive. You will not win your seat back. Mm -hmm. Like your own caucus will work against you mm -hmm. to make sure that you don't get your seat back. Does that make sense? No, it yeah. does. Cause they want, it's a, you're with this 100%. It's like the NRA. You're either with this hundred percent or not at all. It's there. No yeah. Oh yeah. And that brings, that's another point too. Some of these folks that we're kind of, we're taking, we're kind of stepping back, disassociating, yeah. trying to just make it through the right. day or this frustrating agenda of bills. Some of those were, I referred to them as pro-life Democrats. Um, they'd probably be pro-gun too. If right. we, you know, let them vote pro-life, let them vote pro-gun. But the thing, the thing is, with a majority of Democrats like that, those bills wouldn't even hit the floor because we would understand that there's a much better use of the people's time than, than just it's crazy. We're, I think we just recently passed legislation that wouldn't allow a, the state couldn't do business with an entity that was right. considered, I don't know, like say a corporation didn't want to allow guns in its facility. Yeah, they wanted to ban so, companies that had policies against carrying or having guns on in the, in something. Yeah. I know, I know, I know plenty of Democrats who carry guns. I'm not one of them. I don't know which end fires, but the, we wouldn't hear bills like that. That's not, and that's not even like, that's not even conservatism. That's that bill's drunk on conservatism. Well, that, that has gone so far off the, so far away from what actual conservatism is. I can't even, so, that's just so ridiculous. The one area that I found I was surprised by the voucher bill that that didn't pass by two votes. I was right really shocked. You can but call also, that two Dosset votes if you want. I, yes, the Dossets voted correctly on that. Um, <laughs> but it's not going to go away. It's going to come back. No. It's going to keep coming yeah. back. But it is an area where it seems like that's where you'll see Republicans, particularly in rural areas, break and say, "This is." Are, and, are there other and, areas that yeah. you see? those, what you consider old, probably old school Democrats. Yeah. That would come. I mean, where are the issues that you, you can agree on? Like schools, you named schools, it. Is that really? Schools. Except for transgender yeah. students. Right. Well, there's, yeah. Oh God. There's that. Did y'all follow that bill? It was uh, like, yes. it was, <laughs> it was. I'm writing, you know, I, oh I think it's anything that discriminates. So I, yeah. Oh, goodness sorry if that if that displayed ignorance about your own work and your own writing no, no, that no, bill it's, it's, we I'm had, sure God, that bill started last year and then it turned into some kind of zombie and we thought maybe it was gone and uh, or you know gone for now uh then it then there was this bad counselor bill it was gonna make counselors that report yeah, make oh people my God. out their kids yeah do you remember that the counselor yeah, I think it was passed, gonna didn't it? or did well pass. let me tell 
let me tell you. Let's tell you where I got so confused on. Well, you also have these shell bills. I Yeah. Let me tell you about that one. That one started out as bad counselor bill. In a nutshell, the counselor was going to have to report to the school superintendent everything that was said in her office. To a, oh, wow. this is it's just this is ridiculous, absolutely ridiculous. But it passed the it passed Senate Education Committee. Forget you know Democratic you know questioning and debate against. It got to the floor. Once again, we we you know we we did our we did the job of the minority uh-huh. um, to try to call out you know just this this is ridiculous. It's frivolous. This would never even work in pragmatic terms. Forget whatever philosophy you're trying to promote here. Anyway, it passed. Got to the got to the House. I think it passed House committee, whatever committee it was heard on. And um, and then at some point in the dark, this sounds like it's from a movie or something, but this is real stuff. Sometime in the middle of the night, it changed to bathroom bill. And so in, for, right. for a hot minute there, it was bad counselor bill and bad bathroom bill all in one. Well, that does violate some rules that I guess right. the majority so, yeah. did pay attention to. So they uh-huh. took out the counselor part. And so, so, that, when, so they basically shut the bill. Yeah. Is that, yeah. So they just turned it in. Yeah. That makes it very hard to follow when you're an observer it of, of may, the, the legislature. It makes, it makes, when you work in the building, it makes it hard to follow. Because these things land hot on our desk three minutes before we're supposed to vote on them. And the last time we saw them, they were counselor bill. And all of a sudden they're bathroom bill. And um, it makes it, and and I keep keep saying this, it's super majority. These things happen when a super majority exists. Um, And they will continue to happen as long as a super majority exists. Um, There's nothing nothing stopping them. uh Nothing. Well, we apparently ignored Barry so long that he just dropped out. So I'm not sure what happened to him. So if well, he, he'll come back. hopefully he'll join us again. That's okay. I wanted to ask, I wanted to go back to, to the, the issue of women running because it is very hard and it's not just an Oklahoma issue. I mean, nationally, all state legislatures lack women. Why do you think that is? Is it because women typically are the are the main caregivers in their homes and can't travel is it I mean, what's the problem in trying to get women to run you think let me tell you i'll tell you personal anecdote but i think it happened enough times that maybe it's not an anecdote anymore so i was knocking doors in district 35 um midtown tulsa um as we stated um but at the time uh before the redistricting that just occurred it stretched all the way down to south tulsa 121st street south is the southern Boundary. And so I was, um, it was an open seat, which made it, you know, we got term limits right. here. Right. I know you know that. I don't think everybody knows that. We got term limits here. Mm-hmm. Um, due to term limits, the seat was coming open. So it was a particularly advantageous, you know, time to try to jump in, except us trying to flip a district. So uh, traditionally Republican held. Um, and as I stated before, still majority Republican in terms of uh, voter registration, uh, right. voter activity. Um, but I knocked doors for about two years uh, to get that done. Um, targeted, you know, targeted voters, not only Democrats, but also, and then especially Republicans, mm-hmm. uh, all the way from the Northern boundary is I-244, Southern boundary, like I said, all the way to 121st Street South. The question I got asked over and over and over and over again, North to South, everywhere in the middle, every type of voter you can imagine was, I'd hand them the card, you know, yeah. you know, that, 
you know, vote for Joanna Dossett. And, uh, and people would ask, well, they look at the card and they'd be like, well, well, where are your children? Really still over and you over. And that would be the first question leading question. It's, it's 2020. Yeah. We got Trump on the ballot. We have got COVID raging. We have, you name it. Do you remember what's happened in 2020? Do you remember? <laughs> I remember all of it. Yes. And the leading question on these people's minds, I shouldn't say these people, I'm sorry. My constituents, my, the then people, my yeah, voters. The voters, my the voters are like, where are the children? Who's going to take Where are the children? You might think that it's a particular type of person mm-hmm. that would ask that question. So maybe the person is male. Maybe the person is, um, you know, registered Republican. Maybe the person lives in South Tulsa. Maybe the person is, you know, wealthy or affluent. Nope, everybody asked. Young, old, male, female, progressive, conservative, midtown, uptown, everybody, not only South, everybody asked for your children. And to the point that I kind of wanted to be like, oh my God, I don't know. Like, <laughs> I mean, you like, want to make a joke out of it, but you can't. I did. No. You don't want them to no. feel bad. Nope. You know, it was very important to validate. They were, they were worried. They were worried about where my children were. Okay. Well, the thing is when you're on a door and when you're doing outreach and when you're trying, you don't have very long with a voter. You just don't have very long with them to, you probably know this stuff to secure their vote. If you spend time talking about where your children are, you're going to lose them. You're going to lose them because their phones go ring, their dogs are going to bark you know, the, the, that natural time for, you know, grabbing their attention and getting their vote is going to go. And I guess in answer to your question, like over time that actually started, like, I started having inner doubts myself, like, Oh God, should I be? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And so anyway, I guess what I learned from that experience is the question, where are your children? is not a conservative one, not a progressive one, not like an extreme right-wing one. It's not a woke one. It's not a male or female. It's none of it. It might be like an underlying sort of concern or narrative that we all have within us about where women should be mm-hmm. and what women should be doing. I mean, now the answer is I haven't been fully with my children since each of them turned six weeks old. And I went back to work because I had to go to work and I couldn't stay gone any long because they weren't going to pay me any more than the six weeks. And that had to come from my accrued sick leave. It's not like I had maternity leave or anything. Sorry. Now you're getting me somewhere. Now, no, like, no, I, now I, you're I, me lived, most women yeah. have lived that experience, you know, that have gone back yeah. to work or they've had to drop out because childcare was too expensive. Yeah. That kind of thing. Yeah. No, it's not. No, it's, it's not like I was afforded maternity leave or anything. I'd been working for my employer long enough that I had accrued sick leave to, to keep me out, but paid for six weeks. And then it was time to go back to work. So sorry. Mm-hmm. And, and so that it wasn't anything new to me that I was away from my children while knocking right. doors. I'd been away from my children a lot, mm-hmm. but it started, it started kind of like inspiring in me, my own doubts, like, Oh, haven't I been away from my children enough? Mm-hmm. Haven't I put them through enough? Is this really what I should be doing? Is this where I should be going? Is this what I should be using my time on? Well, I mean, at that point I was running a, you know, a campaign. I couldn't, you can't just stop. You right. just can't, you just, there's no, there's no stopping. But, um, but when, you're out, when other women are thinking of running, what is stopping them? Is it, 
that's why I'm, I'm frustrated. Like why? Cause it, we know a lot of smart women. Um, yeah. and they, and I wonder if it's also putting yourself out there as a candidate. I mean, it's getting oh. rough. Well, and I, that does yeah. Bring, yeah, that does bring up one of the things I wanted to address. And I will say up front that I am friends with your opponent that you beat that I've known her for 20 I love years. Friends. Daryl Baver. Only, no, <laughs> up front's the I've only known place her to for be. a long time. And she's, um, you know, it was, it's, it was weird watching the race because, and I have a, I don't agree with her politically on everything, but I mean, it doesn't matter because we've got like a thousand other things that we connect on and right. uh, she's smart. She's, you know, organized. And I like, on the, from the outside, I thought if I could just take both of you and put you yeah. in the Senate and take out like five men <laughs> in a room and say, fix this up. I would, I mean, I, I honestly think the two of you as I two think you're right. women could have just come up with how to solve all the problems of our state. Of course, it's not I how think it we, works. You know? No, I think we, I think we said earlier that women, more women would moderate the conversation. I do. And I, and I, and that's where I was coming from was, yeah. but the dark money came into your race with such a, <laughs> it just flooded in to where she completely lost her narrative of, I mean, all the, these, they had a, an Oklahoma MAGA coalition going after you that never could find out where it was. And she came out saying, I, I'm not, this isn't me. Yeah. It didn't matter yeah. because it reflected on her. And, you know, the swastika was painted on her driveway. That's obviously, you know, so it just got completely out of hand. And so when you sit back and look at it now and you like, do you view campaigns differently now having gone through that? So because that's what I'm worried about. Like, where are people getting their information? And so when you, well, I mean, I mean, have you seen what they're doing in these school board races now? Yes. Oh, yes. That kind of that kind of nasty stuff is happening in school board. I mean, it's one thing a partisan partisan race for a state legislative seat. Well, none of it's right. Nobody wants right. it. Rank and file, everyday people. I don't care their party affiliation. Don't want that trash in their mailboxes. They don't right. want that noise, you know, on their television. Mm -hmm. They don't want that nonsense on their, on their social media feeds. People don't want that. Right. Unfortunately, I guess, I guess, I don't know. There is evidence that that type of campaigning is actually what works is actually what inspires people in, in your direction or in one's direction when they walk to the ballot box. My campaign made a very calculated decision not to respond in kind. Right. Mm -hmm. it, and it was, it, it was a calculated risk too, because I mean, I was running a very professional campaign. Professional expertise will tell you that that nasty stuff is what wins. But we made, a, we made an informed collective professional decision we're going to take a risk and we're going to respond with sunshine and we're going to respond with smiles mm -hmm. and we're and, and you know the whole thing fit i'm a teacher mm -hmm. um, elementary school teacher at that sunshine and positivity that's my game uh i i wield it like an art uh you know you can't get anything done with five-year-olds unless you have a smile on your face Right. And, and with her, I mean, she came out at one point and said, and she like was, had to criticize it. She had to explain, which I've yeah. seen people do when dark yeah. money races where you're like, wait, this isn't, yeah. you know, it, it went so far over the top. It ended up. It was bad. 
it was a bad yeah. life, you know. And I think what you said earlier, oh, well, and that's, that's absolutely what happened. And that's, I mean, yeah, that's the calculated, that's the calculated, that's the calculated risk we took mm-hmm. was that our sunshine is going to shine brighter than all this nastiness. Mm-hmm. And um, it, we're not going to respond to it. We're not going to reply to it. We're not going to acknowledge it. We're not going to, no, we're just, we're not, we're not going to, we're not going to get down there and play like that. And, um, but back to what you said about the narrative, I will say this, this is, this is what it did to the narrative on both sides. When you get, you know, when you get to the point or when, sorry, I shouldn't say you, it was dark money. When, when outside forces get to the point that you're calling somebody Antifa and look, I mean, look at me, is this Antifa? I'm sorry. No, it's not. When you're, when you're saying that somebody's going to bring Portland lawlessness (laughs) to Tulsa and when you're, oh, I can't remember all the other things. Anyway, you saw it was, it was, yeah. And it was like 10, 12 weeks of it too. Yeah, it, was, it well and that's and, what, what i was sourcing more of it coming up i mean that's, oh yeah it's coming it's, it's going to be and that's yeah. part of where i'm i'm concerned about where are people getting their information because you know the, is, these these mailers are not a great place to get your, get your information no. but i will um, say this it did kill the narrative on both sides so i my narrative was hey i have a you know 15 year public school teacher you know former peace corps volunteer mama, two kids, all this, you know, all this stuff. Right. And, and I want to, these are my platform planks and I want to promote that, you know, public education, access to healthcare and criminal justice, all this stuff. When you have noise like that in a race, th- the narrative goes away. And my only narrative was, look, this is what sanity looks like <laughs> Yeah. in November cast a vote for sanity mm-hmm. because we don't, we don't, we don't play like that. We don't promote chaos. We do not participate in chaos. We do not acknowledge it. And, and if you, if you want to end this chaos and you want somebody sane, Mm -hmm. and I'm so sorry because then it goes, but, and so that like that causes, or that makes it sound like an accusation. I want to be clear that I don't think it was reflected necessarily of her because it wasn't her campaign. It was just, you know, someone doing something on her behalf. And it's like, it's, and that's the, the difficult thing about dark money is you don't, if you don't know where it comes from and you can't stop it. And then they're doing whatever it is that you know, they do whatever they want. And, Mm -hmm. and I, and I will say this, they, whoever they are, Mm -hmm. um, they were running the style of their campaigning, the style of all that hit mail and all that slanderous television, all that. It was as if it was a GOP primary runoff Mm -hmm. that they were, that they were promoting. Right. Yeah. But the critical error there was, I mean, it was a general election. That's Mm -hmm. a very different kind of voter. Right. very different kind of voter and that was just this miscalculation yeah it was um well I, I, barry is having trouble getting on here so we can totally talk about him um whatever but uh, let's but, do it well you know one of the things that but we are coming up on on kind of a, an end point i wanted yeah. to just, uh um uh, oh barry did say he thought it was going well when he dropped off so okay um, but i did want to kind of as we're ending here what do you see coming up in the next session? What what are some of the, the big topics do you think um, that are gonna that we should be looking for? I mean, what what are you, what's your sense of what the priorities are? Okay. Hey, sorry, I'm doing a little 
it's 2022 or what year is it? I don't even know. It, it'll be 2023. 2020, yes. When, when, when you go back. No, I'm, so, I'm doing, no, I'm doing a speaker switchover. Okay. It's 2022. And this is how we meet these days. I needed to plug the phone into the car and Oh, okay. Well, I say we're, we're winding up, so I, uh, you know, we're all losing power apparently. So, um, no, I just wanted to get your sense of what the priorities so, are going to be. I got I got to tell you from my own very personal perspective, I'm always vigilant. This is the, do you have something that keeps you up at night? This is the mm -hmm. thing that keeps me up at night. Private school vouchers. That is what keeps me up at night. That mm -hmm. is coming back. Oh, we yes. have, we have, yeah, we have precedent for that. I mean, we know that this, that, or the other, you know, powerful faction, the legislature has brought it up time and time and time again. Mm -hmm. um, it's coming back. The vibe I got is that it's going to appear in the house mm -hmm. this time uh, uh, before it appears in the Senate. So we need to remain vigilant. I do think that we are going to, you know, kind of continue the march, I guess, against women's autonomy. Um, mm -hmm. Not via, yeah, not via abortion bills, but like we were talking before, yeah. um, bills that would affect access to contraception. Mm -hmm. uh, the travel stuff, I'm really, I'm still, that's still very hazy for me. And Barry brought that to light earlier. Like, how would they even do that? I don't yeah. know. Uh -huh. um, but, uh, but with supermajority, anything, and I mean anything, is possible. Um, one thing that we saw this year that was very disturbing, um, and I expect it to continue next year, is attacks on the judiciary. Mm. You know, when you, when you hear leadership, you know, in the Senate, get on the mic and say, well, I don't want some judge reading into this law and telling me what it says, and you're kind of sitting there scratching your head like, but wait, that's the judiciary's job. Um, I do, I do, they were trying to, um, they've just, there were kind of nickel and dime attacks on the judiciary and, uh, even kind of a like full scale attack on the, the composition of the judiciary, right. like how, how we compose, how we select the judiciary here in Oklahoma. I expect that to, to continue. Mm -hmm. So anyway, I've just told you like three things that, um, kind of defensive, yeah, okay. defensive things. I think that, um, We've really got to keep looking at tax reform. We have got to figure out a better way. And I know that's just perennial. That's perennial. So yeah. we have to figure out a more sustainable way to fund our state coffers. Yeah. I know that we, we looked at grocery sales tax exemption. We looked at a variety of, of different measures that would bring more immediate relief to, you know, everyday Oklahomans, mm -hmm. um, you know, you know, run-of-the-mill Oklahomans like you, you and me. Um, but one thing that we, we haven't, I think yet done meaningfully is to figure out, okay, well, how are we going to replace that revenue? Right. How is that when we, when we make a, a cut or an exemption, no matter who it benefits, how are we going to, how are we going to replace that revenue? Because we still have, you know, state budget to fund. We still have state services to fund. Mm -hmm. So, you know, looking at, looking at, at, at tax structure is always something that happens. Mm -hmm. um, I think a pattern that we've seen lately is uh, these incentive packages that are designed specifically mm -hmm. to court, you know, this incoming uh, entity or that incoming entity, you know, for the purpose of, you know, growing business. I wish that we would get away from that and just better fund state government and build infrastructure mm -hmm. um, so that uh, so that we don't have to 
past these these big packages designed to incentivize you know one particular mm-hmm. um entity but i think yeah you're just yeah i think we'll, we'll probably see more incentive packages like mm-hmm. that trying to get new business in what about state taxes? Anything else? Are, they, are they i am back by the way yeah the hey very we just Don't talked worry. about we just yeah we just talked about grocery sales tax exemption and and tax relief for individuals more like you and me but are, um, are they doing away with the state tax are they trying to do away with the i state mean there's tax? there's always an effort to to do away with with personal income tax but you know but that's, that's always like what you were saying though with every cut there has to be a balance to it and that used to be the conservative platform was balancing that yeah. out of if we're going to reduce taxes here where are we going to make up for it because either you make up for it or you cut some service or something and that's not being done and we can't be cut anymore there's nothing no. there's really there's nothing left to cut so that's um yeah there's all that that's so true both of you that narrative is always alive um mm-hmm. i think the the voices in resistance would be what are you gonna what are you gonna re- replace it with and one thing i forgot uh to mention is we are always looking at you know reform of the the um medical marijuana framework mm-hmm. yeah. um you know that that initiative as you know was was passed at the ballot by the people i voted for all that i was as a, just as a personal you know individual um, but what we've what we're left with is a really really patchwork piecemeal regulatory framework um, that doesn't really support I think healthy growth of business healthy responsible growth of the marijuana industry in Oklahoma so we're always going to be looking uh, at that reformer on that well Barry we're almost at an hour so I'm going to give you since you missed half of this the last question what's uh, the last question would be- it's going to have 10 questions in it so go ahead uh, I have yes, no idea I'm what you said. I apologize for the uh, snafu here, but all right. So, uh, and I've asked, I asked uh, John Walton this question. I'll ask you: What is the one thing Democrats are not doing in this state that they need to do? Uh, because a lot of the issues that people say are important to them are issues that Democrats propose champion so what is the one thing we are not doing i say we sorry that we should be doing electing more democrats to office but how do we do that well we got to get out we got to register more folks you know in a um in a big election that's coming up like the one in november we have we have four about four million oklahomans we'll probably have a million turnout to vote (laughs) that that turnout is just that's that's not doing anybody a favor except the ultra elite and i don't care what the party is if you're ultra elite you benefit from only a million people voting and by that i mean in terms of wealth um if i i do feel like if if democrats i said earlier i'm not you know in my in, in my seat district 35 i'm not i'm not beholden to anybody even party i'm beholden to my constituents and i'll stand by that but i will also stand by the statement that I'm a very proud Democrat. I've been that way my whole life, as were my parents before me. I could never be anything but. Um, but I feel like sometimes Democrats, we do a, a very good job being passionate about issues. But then when it comes time to getting out on doors with voter registration cards in hand, helping folks register to vote, and in the meantime, 
you know, giving them the pitch on a great candidate who's running, a great Democratic candidate who's running in their, in their district. We have got to do that door-to-door work of getting more folks registered, more folks engaged, more folks voting, and, uh, and then hopefully voting for more Democrats so we can really, I think, correct some of the imbalances in the, in the legislature. When I say, I was talking earlier about how sometimes we play this game of like, oh, how many, how many, how many of these folks in the Senate would actually be Democrats if we let them hold on to, you know, what, however they felt about, you know, abortion or guns or whatever. Um, I think we'd still have a majority in the Senate and the bad bills wouldn't be heard. I do feel like the more Democrats we get in the state Senate, the more we're not going to hear those bad bills, the more we're not going to hear those just off the rails, completely out of line and out of touch bills. And so, yeah, I would say to to fellow Democrats, and there are so many who are doing the hard work all the time, but uh, if you're frustrated about a particular issue, say you're, you know, say you're frustrated or even in despair about what recently happened to Roe. Um, say you're worried about your kids' public education, you know, going into the future, pour that energy into registering a few folks around you as Democrats, getting them voting for Democrats. Uh, and let's see if we can't change the composition of the state legislature a little bit so that we don't have to hear this nonsense or not hear as much of it. Well, I'm a registered independent, just to throw it out there. Thanks. But I would like yeah. to, I've always been intrigued by the ideas of ranked voting and some of these other kind of yep. voting models that would also break that down because I'm frustrated by by the supermajority too. If I think that legislatures that are closer do tend to have more productive uh, sessions. So, um, okay, Barry, one more question. You're allowed one more question. We got what's the one? What's the one issue Democrats should stay away from that costs votes, costs supports? Ooh, what they should stay away from? I mean, it may be good, and it may be a a a, a justifiable. Uh, righteous position, but it costs votes. I'm going to answer the question. I wish you asked what they need to do. You sound more Southern like- when you do that too. <laughs> I did grow up here. <laughs> um, but uh, no, the one they need to stick to like glue is public education and keeping our rural schools alive. Y'all, I'm an urban senator. No, my district really? is entirely, no, entire. I have my cowboy boots on today. Can you tell? Um, yes, we do have them in Tulsa. Uh, they are worn with suits. But um, no, even as an urban senator representing entirely urban districts that's comprised wholly of an urban school district, I think a winning message for all of us, for all Democrats right now is they're trying to kill your rural schools. They're trying to kill them through privatization, private school vouchers. Um, and that's, that's the message we need to stick to because that's how we keep our rural, that's how we keep our rural counterparts with us. That's how we keep us all focused on what really needs to be done for Oklahoma first and foremost, which is save our schools against the attacks, you know, from outside the attacks, you know, from these private entities that would like to suck up all your money. uh, I'll add one thing to that, which is there will be bills that will be written just to affect Oklahoma City and Tulsa. So that way the rural areas will think they're not affected. Don't fall for it because whatever happens in the urban areas always, without exception, ends up in the rural areas. So I'll You're so right. So I just thank you. Um, So we're at our time. I want to thank you for joining us. I'm sorry, Barry missed half of it. He'll have to listen and just see what we said, you know, let's make it fun. (laughs) 
but thank you so much. I, I definitely appreciate it. Any last words as we sign off? No, you all are wonderful. And the work that you do is so important. You, you, Jenny, and you, Barry, is oh, so important for the betterment you. of our state. Thank you so much. Thank you. And we look forward to uh, you being in the next session. Thank you. Absolutely. All right. All right. Bye-bye. Bye.